So you're staying warm sitting so close together? Does all these extra bodies help? Right? So you know, we're can, uh, continuing on today with our uh, long-term look through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and, and if you remember from last week's message, uh, we've been talking about John the Baptist and uh, about his ministry and his, his charismatic preaching and, and how suddenly at the, the climax uh, of John's evangelistic crusade, how Jesus had appeared on the scene uh, asking to be baptized by his cousin. If you remember, John refused, of course. He says, uh, no, Lord, I, I should be baptized by you. But Jesus insists. And then we saw how Jesus' baptism, rather than being a baptism for repentance, is instead an anointing of him in preparation for his ministry on our behalf. Uh, particularly, as I started to lay out last week, uh, through his active obedience of the law of God uh, for us and, and in our place. Because remember, Jesus had to do a lot more than just die for us and for our full redemption to be accomplished. He had to live for us. And we're going to see more of that perfect life lived out today in our reading from Matthew's account of what Jesus endured at the outset of his public ministry. And so uh, open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, I hope you have your own Bible with you so you can can follow along even though it's on the screen. Uh, and we'll be reading Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. So listen for the voice of the Spirit. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, our Father, as we... I gather this morning to hear your living word. We ask you, Lord, to grant us holy wisdom and knowledge. We pray, Lord, that as we listen, as we've read, as your word is preached, that we may have the ability to see clearly, uh, to hear fully, and to know truly the riches of your kingdom as you reveal them for your glory and for the sake of Christ, your Son. Amen. So the story I read you this morning takes off, as I said, right after Jesus' baptism by John in the Jordan River. Right after that great moment that Jesus comes up out of the water and he has a vision. He has a vision of heaven open. And he sees the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. And he hears a voice from heaven saying to him, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And all of these things acknowledging that Jesus is the bridge available now between God and man. And that access to God is made in himself. Uh, and not in any religion or any law, but only in his person and work. And guys, this is where that journey really begins. 
Because before he ever preached a sermon, before he ever healed a single person, before Jesus ever had a single convert, he is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Uh, and not just with some half-hearted kind of way. Uh, this was no phony temptation. The devil made some pretty enticing offers. Because if you remember Jesus by coming to earth to live as a man willingly chose to take on all of our frailties, he got hungry. He got tired. He felt pain. He experienced the height and depths of emotion, all the same things that we experience, except he didn't have our predisposition to want to sin. So, and before we go any further into the story, I want to take just a minute uh, to explore our sin nature before we go further this morning. And I know I've shared this quote with you before, but it's been a while. Uh, British journalist and media personality Malcolm Muggeridge said, the depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable fact and at the same time, the most intellectually resisted. Right? Think about that for a minute. The depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable fact and at the same time is the most intellectually resisted. So in other words, what he's saying is it's pretty easy to look around and see that the world is living in sin, but nobody wants to admit it, right? especially to ourselves. Because the truth is none of us, me included, uh, want to admit how willful and self-centered we actually are. And don't ask my wife because she's... It's not fair. Uh, but, you know, that's true of us, even as professed believers, and it shouldn't be that way. Because those are the very things we've been redeemed from. As Ephesians 2, 1 says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, uh, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And so, brothers and sisters, if we find ourselves still living in habitual and unrepentant sin, if we're still refusing to obey God, we need to ask ourselves, which spirit is it that's directing our lives? Is it the Holy Spirit or something else? And so do you see how we kind of look from God's perspective? He says, some of you are up and walking around, but at the same time, you're still dead from sin on the inside. From his point of view, he says, many of us are really just walking corpses. Now, we may think we look good on the surface, but the truth is, on the inside, we're really just dead, spiritually. And it's only after God's Holy Spirit brings us to conversion that we begin to become delivered from the lies that we human beings habitually tell ourselves. Lies that originate, as we saw in Sunday school this morning, from the very pit of hell. Uh, delivered from the lies that say, you know, we're all just basically good people. Just trying to do good things, live in a good society focus on the achievements of self, because the truth is, brothers and sisters, if nobody told you this before, uh, this life is not about us. Right? It's about our Creator, and it's about the glory of His Son and the message of the gospel, and that gospel, that good news, always originates with God and not with me, right? With God's nature and not mine, because, brothers and sisters, God alone is good, and God alone is holy. God alone is just. God alone is righteous, and that's a good thing. It would be a terrifying thing if this universe and this present reality had been created by an evil God, right? I mean, think about it. An omnipotent being that was morally corrupt would be a living nightmare for us, wouldn't it? Uh, so it's a good thing that God is holy and just, but it also presents a really big problem for us because if God is just, 
What does he do with you and me? Because the Bible says we've all sinned against God. It says we've all sinned against one another. We've all sinned against God's natural law, and everything around us calls for our condemnation before a God who is not just good, but holy, and not only holy, but just. And the only thing that can bridge that huge chasm between those two extremes, between our sin nature and between His holiness, is found in Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody. And in His righteous life and His substitutionary death on the cross, because that is where we see the unique revelation of the fullness of God's divine nature. That, that God is just, so He had to condemn our sins. But that God is love, and so He became a man in the person of Jesus who lives a perfect, sinless life and goes to the cross where all of the justice and the wrath of God that you and I deserve was thrown down instead on Him for our redemption. And so that our hearts and minds could be opened and so that we could hear from God, and so we could be delivered. That we could be delivered from the vanity and the delusions of this world and its diseased affections, and its phony offers of easy believism, and cheap grace, and enticements to sin. And that deliverance comes in just the same way that our Lord Jesus modeled for us in His 40-day ordeal, and in His own temptation to sin, in His own enticements to take the easy way out, basically, by choosing another way other than the way of the cross. And you know, it's funny, just like happens with us, those temptations start out seemingly pretty harmless. Right? If you remember the first one we read about this morning, we read in verse 3, uh, the devil said to him, said to Jesus, if you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. So the devil starts out by questioning Jesus' divinity and challenging him to prove his power by using it for his own personal comfort and to satisfy his own desires, his hunger. I mean, after 40 days without food, Jesus is famished, right? I can barely make it from breakfast to lunch. Uh, and the devil tempted him with probably the first thing that was on his mind, right, with food. But Jesus answered him, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. And he's quoting directly from Deuteronomy chapter 8. So I want to look there quickly. If you still have your Bibles open, uh, this is God speaking through Moses to the children of Israel. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 2. And then we're going to drop down to verse 17. Uh, verse 2 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character. Yes, he humbled you. He humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. And he did it to teach you that people do not what? Rather, we live by what? For the mouth of God, right? He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I've achieved this with my own strength and energy. Because remember, the Lord your God, he's the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. So you see, Jesus didn't just pull that scripture out of the hat when he quoted it to Satan. He knew it, and he understood its context. And the point of Deuteronomy chapter 8 is that God is the source of provision and not our own efforts, and that his word is a real source of strength that Jesus is relying on to resist temptation, setting an example for us that we can do exactly the same thing, even in weakness and intense desire. And Jesus says here that he's not going to live life for his own appetites, but will live to follow God's will because for him, obeying God comes first. 
So you don't have to be superhuman to resist the devil. You just have to be supernaturally connected to the truth of God's word. Right? And now at this point, somebody may ask, well, what would have been the big deal if Jesus would have turned a couple stones into some bread, right? So what? Uh, why wouldn't that have been okay? And the answer is because it would have been the beginning of a very slippery slope if Jesus had used even a little of his power now to avoid the discomfort of hunger. What might he be tempted to do when the greater pain of the cross comes? Right? So remember, little compromises never stay little. Brother Don always says this in, in uh, Bible study. Um, I, think it's, I think this is a, a chorus from a song. Uh, a little sin will take you further than you wanted to go, cost you more than you wanted to spend, and keep you longer than you wanted to stay. But Jesus denies himself life's temporary pleasures if it would violate God's intention, including the temptation to get out the message of the gospel through flashy displays or superficial theatrics or flashing lights over my head. That's the next temptation we read about, right? And we read that he, meaning Satan, took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And so here, the devil takes Jesus to the top of the temple in Jerusalem. And this time, the, uh, the devil quotes scripture. He's quoting Psalm 91.11 to Jesus, challenging Jesus again to prove his divinity and test God by jumping off the top. But what a bizarre test, right? Who would do that? Right? Why would Jesus even be tempted to jump off the top of the temple in Jerusalem? Well, the devil is basically saying here, hey, if you're the Messiah, let's get this show started. What are you doing hiding out here in the wilderness? Right? The devil says, God will protect you, so if you really are the Messiah, jumping off the top of the temple would be a great way to get a huge audience to notice you. Right? What, could, what could be more dramatic uh, of an entrance into the capital city of Jerusalem, right? But here we come back again to intention. What's the devil's real motive here? And the answer is he wants to tempt Jesus into self-glorification. Because if he jumps from the top of the temple and floats down on the wings of angels, the, the Jewish temple worshipers would have immediately seen Jesus descending from the heavens, just like maybe they would have expected a Messiah to arrive. Uh, it would have been a pretty amazing spectacle, right? Uh, people would have immediately wanted to make Jesus their king. They had already tried to do it once. But his life from then on would have been one of political power and military authority and earthly glory. And the Jews were seeking a Messiah like that, right? One that would come to save them by a dramatic show of force, a, a strong leader who would maybe descend from heaven and set up his kingdom on earth for his chosen people only, right? J ju just for those, no Gentiles allowed, thanks. But that's not why Jesus came, is it? He didn't come to be an earthly king at all, much less the king of just one nation, but to be a humble servant and to accomplish the purposes of God. And that purpose, brothers and sisters, was to be a sinless sin offering for mankind. And so again, he's taking a step back from self-interest and from a possible shortcut into the hearts of his people to instead honor the intention of the Father. And then finally, for the third one, the devil pulls out all the stops. We read the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, I'll give you all this authority and their glory, 
for they've been delivered to me, and I will give it to I can give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. So the devil takes Jesus uh, even higher to the top of a mountain and shows him all of earth's offerings. And you know, a lot of times sermon messages on this text, you know, focus on the worldly uh, treasures, the earthly pleasures the devil is offering. But I think the temptation here for Jesus is even bigger than that because the devil's offer to surrender all of the world to Jesus would have also included the destructive influence that Satan has over the planet. So the devil would be giving up his power to hurt, to cause pain, to inflict suffering. He'd be laying down his power to wreak havoc and destruction and chaos. And what could Jesus, as our loving Lord, want more than not to see his children suffer? That's a big temptation. But the exchange would have come at a horrendous cost because instead of bowing to the purpose and will of God, Jesus would have had to bow to Satan. The very thing that he had craved since his fall, right, was for him to be worshipped instead of God, violating the, the very intention that Lucifer was made for in the first place. He was created to be God's chief worshiper in heaven and not to be worshipped himself. And that exchange provides really uh, a good example of what I think one scholar was talking about when he said, and we shared this before too in Bible study, uh, violation of purpose is the essence of evil. When I read that, it really, that made a lot of sense to me, and I've shared it a couple of times. You see what I mean by that? Violation of purpose is the essence of evil, right? Satan's purpose was to worship God, and he violated that. And that's the same with every area of our lives, right? With, with, with money, with food, uh, sex, authority, entertainments. They all have beneficial purposes, but the violation of any of their intended purposes can cause devastating consequences. And that fact highlights something else the devil is concealing in this offer, uh, because even if he gave up his power to distort all of those things, uh, you and I could mess them up pretty good all on our own, couldn't we? Right? If we're honest, we really don't need any help from the devil to sin, do we? Right? We don't need any help to cause pain and destruction in this world. So the trade-off would have been for nothing because you and I freely choose to sin all on our own. But of course, Jesus already knew that. And in the end, Jesus rebukes the devil and flat out refuses his offer, saying, away from me, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And when he says that, he's answering the devil with Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me, because Jesus will serve only God and only his plans, and his intentions for his people. And in turning down this offer to have what sounds like everything, Jesus denied the cheap and easy road for the third time, and so the devil finally left because there was nothing else to offer, right? There's nothing else he could offer. He'd offered Jesus everything, and Jesus turned him down. And each of these temptations <coughs> are the same temptations that you and I face every day, right? Temptation to seeking to satisfy ourselves instead of God. Temptation to try to manipulate God to attain our goals. A temptation to try to sidestep God's plan in an effort to have it all, but to have it on our own terms. And so by denying these three temptations, Jesus denies himself because his desire is to serve God and not himself, proving he was ready to follow God in total obedience, resulting, brothers and sisters, in the greatest gift that mankind has ever received in the life the death, the resurrection, and glorious ascension of our Savior who brings us freedom from burdens and sins of our own making. Freedoms from those sins that taint our souls. 
freedom from the penalty of death that we deserve. Christ takes them all. And as the Son of God takes the hard road and the painful reality of death and dies for you and me. That's what we need to remember this week. That Jesus didn't take the easy road to bring us temporary relief. Brothers and sisters, he took the hard road to give each of us who are found in him abundant and eternal life. Have you received it? If you haven't, I say to you today in his name, repent and believe the gospel. And listen for the voice of the Spirit as we pray. Father God, we thank you for this uh, faithful message, this faithful recounting of the story of your son in the wilderness and the temptations that he faced. We thank you, Lord, that he was willing uh, to go through those things uh, for us and in our place so that we could have a road to follow. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Holy Spirit that strengthens us in our weakness. And we ask, Lord, you be with us as we go out this week, uh, helping us, Father, to share the good news of the gospel uh, and trusting in you, Lord, for all that you're about to do in and through us. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.